Hello and welcome to Casual for Co, everybody. I'm Dave Easy, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. This is the Comic Book Herald weekly live stream where we primarily talk about the week's X-Men comics you're talking. The week of April 27th, books came out today, include Knights of X number one and Sabretooth number three. If you are here and you are with me live, let me know in the chat if everything's coming okay, uh, come through okay on audio and video, and we'll go ahead and dive right in. We're going to talk about these comics, but then I also want to talk about any questions that you have, anything you want to talk about this top of mind. I have not seen Moon Knight episode five yet, so that's off the table for me. Um, I can talk more broadly about it, of course. Uh, I am high as a kite on coffee in an interview I just had with Jeff Smith, creator of Bone. So if you have questions about how that went, <laughs> that's fair game as well. Obviously, has been a bit in the news lately with the absolute bummer of a headline that uh, Netflix, amidst their financial woes, it would seem, uh, it canceled the Bone animated series that was anticipated by many of us. But otherwise, obviously, I'll talk about Knights of X number one, launch of a new series, kind of, really just an extension of Excalibur, and Sabretooth number three, which continues to be one of the best comics of 2022. I'm seeing we are sounding and looking great. Thank you. And we'll go ahead and dive right in. Again, get in your questions, get in your thoughts here in the comments. I will go through as many of them as I can. Um, and Super Chat is open, so if you want to get something prioritized, if you want to support Comic Herald, that is a great way to do so. And obviously, incredibly, incredibly appreciate it. Seeing here is the audio kind of low for you guys. Uh, let's see, let's see. What could I do if the audio is kind of low? Um, I could turn up my gain, but that tends to be a problem. I think it should be kind of the norm, but let me know if uh, if anybody else is having that issue, and I will do something, okay? Uh, but otherwise, I'm going to dive right in. So, let's see. Knights of X number one. Let's start there. Let's start there. Uh, I'm seeing here from Bill. I'm going to go check out Kieran Gillen's Decompressed podcast interview with Teeny Howard. Yeah, Kieran Gillen has a... De he, so, Decompressed was Kieran Gillen's podcast from, I think it was in like 2010, 2011 territory, uh, where he would interview other creators. Kieran Gillen now writing Immortal X-Men. Uh, in addition to a lot of his great creator-owned stuff. And uh, it was one of my favorite podcasts at the time. Uh, I really enjoyed sort of these candid conversations about Gillen, who, like, seemed very genuinely, authentically, like, just really enjoyed talking the craft of making comics, enjoyed talking to others who were doing the same. Um, I definitely, it was very educational. It was a good, good pod. And then it, you know, went the way of <laughs> the podcast, right? And it just died out. Uh, but he brought it back now for X-Men stuff, now that he's a part of, of the X office, right, and is you know the kind of the one A to one B with Al Ewing, right, it, here in the in the X Men sort of the creator pedigree, and he's doing it again basically with all the creators in the X office as their books come out. So he's had like Steve Orlando on, now he has Teeny Howard. Um, I haven't listened yet, but I'm really looking forward to it because I used to love uh, listening to that pod. I think Karen Gillen's one of the most insightful folks in podcasting or in podcasting in comics. Um, and, uh, I, I really look forward to it. So if people have been listening to that and getting a lot of gems and tidbits out of it, definitely let me know here. I plan to do the same. I just have not gotten to it yet. You know, it's kind of a bummer. It is one of those things where it's like when you are an amateur fan trying to, you know, put out interview podcasts and, uh, in conversation around comics, and then a Karen Gillen steps in and is like, I'm just going to do it. And it's definitely going to be better, clearly, because I actually know what I'm talking about. Real bummer. Real, real, real getting on the turf. Um, but you know what? You know what, though? Here's the thing. I bring the heat. I bring the heat, all right? Like, I, I, do, I do my thing. And uh, I'm feeling increasingly confident about it. I just did my 82nd creator interview, officially. Uh, it'll be eight, Creator Tators number 82 will be with Jeff Smith of Bone, of Razzle, now of Tukey, 
And uh, I got to say, I got to say, like, my research process, I'm not a casual researcher here. I read everything Jeff Smith's ever written <laughs> in advance of this interview, including I did not. So Bone is my third favorite graphic novel of all time. And I read the all-in-one edition. I read the entire saga. It's incredible. I love it. The only two I have ahead of it, for those of you who are not intimately familiar with the best comics of all time, which is one Google away from you finding me right there at the top, where I should be, uh, is Watchmen and Sandman. I have above it, okay? But otherwise, Bones, like, it's incredible. I love it. I didn't realize there was more Bone. I didn't know there was, like, additional Bone universe stuff and stories. I thought it was just that all-in-one volume. So I had the, the... great experience of going back, finding out what that stuff is, reading all of it over the past couple of weeks. That's been a blast, uh, as as was the the privilege and the the experience of, of getting to talk to Jeff Smith. I mean, good grief. Like, absolutely, of anyone on my best comics of all time list, the creators that I've had the chance to interview, Jeff Smith is far and away the highest <laughs> of the ones that I've ranked there. I mean, I have the chance now to talk to Jim Starlin, uh, Scott Snyder recently, right? Like, I've had some incredible, incredible opportunities. Um, but, but Jeff Smith is ranked at the highest purely in terms of like where I have one of their comics ranked. So that was cool as heck. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, all right. So we're talking Knights of X though, right? So Knights of X came out today. This is the first issue of a new series. It's Excalibur, right? This is Excalibur continued. It's written by Tini Howard. Um, she wrote Excalibur from the start of the dawn of X through the reign of X. We have Bob Quinn taking over on art. Uh, Bob Quinn did some some really good work with Spurrier on Way of X. I do like his style, and I think he's a good fit for this. Uh, basically, what Knights of X does is it strips away any pretense of being a Krakoa book, uh, and potentially of the geopolitics of, like, Captain Britain, and sticks everyone pretty firmly in Otherworld. I mean, I think the, the premise, at least the way that it is pitched here in the first issue, is Knights of X is going to pretty fully become a a fantasy otherworld book. This makes a lot of sense. I actually think this is a good fit for what Howard's trying to do. And, and honestly, in a lot of ways, kind of what I wanted Excalibur to be doing, especially post Ten of Swords. Uh, I actually, the further away we get from Ten of Swords, the more I appreciate it. Um, I really enjoyed in the moment the big sort of tentpole stuff. And then it just, obviously, it's, it's too bulky. It's too big. Um, it's a bit exhaustive in terms of how long it carried on for. But when you actually look at the tentpole stuff, the the creation and stasis and destruction, middle events, it does some great work and some great mythology building, especially for Otherworld. Like, Ten of Swords makes Otherworld the most interesting it's ever been. I don't think it's even close. Um, prior to this point, Otherworld was just always this sort of fantasy King Arthur, Merlin fantasy land that Captain Britain and Excalibur could go play in. Uh, and then you could get to potentially the Captain Britain stuff with like the Omniversal Majestrix and the Captain Britain Corps sort of set in a different sort of realm. Uh, but Otherworld itself wasn't that interesting, at least for me as a reader. Now it is. You've got all these different realms. They're named. They have different... Uh, they have different focuses, right? The Crooked Market is interesting. Whatever's going on in Mercator, if that actually has anything to do with Omega Level Mutant, Absalom Mercator or not, it must, but we haven't gotten confirmation of that. That stuff is interesting to me, right? So I actually think Ten of Swords did a nice job setting all that up. I think some of the best moments of the original Excalibur, or the previous Excalibur run here in the Dawn and the Reign of X, were exploring what can be done with Otherworld. Because you got some cool players here, right? We got Mad Jim Jaspers in the Crooked Market. We've got the Son of Apocalypse, Death, okay? The Horseman in um, the Vampire one. What is it? Seveleth? Something like that. 
Um, and, and so we've got some interesting players. We've got the Furies here. These are uh, Alan Moore, Alan Davis creations. Uh, they hunt superheroes. And now, basically, they're being repurposed in Knights of X as essentially Otherworld Sentinels. Okay, but they're working for the armies of Merlin. Uh, and, and Merlin has taken control of Otherworld from Saturnine, who had taken it from him at the start of all of this, as this Excalibur run began, and is is on a hunt to, to exterminate mutants. So mutants in Otherworld are feared and hunted, quite literally, by the Sentinel-esque Furies, the way that mutants have been feared and hunted in, you know, on Earth-616, you know, timeline and, and, and landscape, a la, like, Days of Future Past style, right? Like, it's it's not good for mutant kind uh, in Otherworld. So that's what Betsy and her questers, her, her group of ten, Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain, uh, and a bunch of other mutant characters, basically the cast of Excalibur, folding over here, are going to go and be dealing with. They're going on this quest to recover the Siege Perilous, which is a long-time Excalibur thing, um, and they're they're going to protect mutant kind in Otherworld. As framing goes, all of that makes sense. And again, I think can tap into some of the more interesting places that Ten of Swords left behind. This book is not for me, <laughs> okay? Excalibur is a run. If you followed along with Kraken Krakow, if you followed along with these live streams, you know that it was never my favorite book. I think it was very, very hit and miss for me. Um, and more often a miss, okay? But what I am realizing is I have to practice what I preach here, and one thing I say a lot is not every comic book is meant for me as a reader, right? Not every comic book is for is designed for everyone. What is, I think, important for individuals to be able to do is to discern whether or not it is achieving what it is trying to do is it doing what it wants to be doing and is it doing it well? Not do I like it, right? Because on the do I like it scale, this book does not work for me. Um, this this premise, like I said, is more interesting. I think it's the right direction, uh, but it's just, it doesn't hit for me and it never has and I don't expect that it's going to, right? It's not suddenly going to be Excalibur, me not being that into it, Knights of X. There wasn't going to be this light switch where I was like, oh, here's the book, right? It's just not that. It's just a continuation. Um, that said... I think it's doing what it wants to be doing very well. It is this high fantasy exploration of this particular sect of mutants um, that are going to be going on this journey in Otherworld. It is, it is somewhat disconnected from the Krakoa experience and the Destiny of X, at least as it stands right now. Um, and that's fine. Like, the fandom that is into this book is very into this book, and I get that. You know, there's a character reappearance here in Knights of, uh, yeah, Knights of X number one, Kyloon. Uh, this sort of werewolf-esque, you know, almost looks like Jack Russell, werewolf by night, character who originates in the Alan Davis Excalibur run. If you love the Alan Davis Excalibur run, you're probably going to dig this book, right? Like, it, like if you were a fan of his Captain Britain, of his Excalibur, this, this book is a celebration of that legacy. Here's the thing. <laughs> if you follow along with My Marvel This Year, where we go through the history of Marvel Comics from its origins to today, we've read a lot of that stuff. We talk about the Alan Davis Excalibur run. I appreciate it. I know there's tremendous fandom around it. I'm not a fan. I'm just not. Um, that stuff just doesn't click for me, and I know that. I know that about myself. That's fine. But that said, I can recognize when and where it is doing what it wants to be well. I think Knights of X is is exactly where it wants to be. I think it's just not a book that is designed for me, right? So I'm not going to criticize it for that. That's fine. Not everything needs to be for me, right? Not everything needs to be for every individual reader, and I think it's comics are better 
and discussion about comics and criticism is better when individuals recognize that, as opposed to what I could be doing, <laughs> right, and I'm sure many people out here are, launching a tirade about how this book sucks and it's trash and blah, 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 and it's like, is it actually, or is it just not for you? And I think in this instance, it's just not for me, and that's fine. Uh, that's totally fine. Like, for those of you who love Knights of X, congrats. <laughs> like, enjoy your book. Uh, let me know why and what you think about it. I I, I just, uh, I'm, I'm probably, you know, the thing I recognize about myself is I'm going to be interested in Knights of X if and when it is doing stuff with these other world territories that we haven't got, that are new, post-X of Swords. Like, that's the stuff that connects with me, right? What Mad Jim Jaspers is up to in the Crooked Market. Um, maybe do we get Red Root showing back up? She's still in prison. The, the Arako mutant who is able to speak with Arako a la Doug Ramsey and Krakoa. Um, and then, of course, anything with Mercator and any of these new territories. That stuff is interesting to me. Um, all the Ten of Swords fallout. Uh, everything else, I don't know. It would take a, a real sea change, and this isn't going to do that. Like, this is Excalibur number 28 or whatever it would be, right? Uh, it's not a true number one turning a new leaf kind of book. Uh, if you were looking for that and you were like, oh, please, can this be something new? It is not that. It just is not. Um, and if you're not a huge fan of those types of things or of these particular characters, Betsy Braddock, Rachel Summers, um, Richter, Shatterstar, then it, I don't expect this book to be what you're looking for because it's not. Like, it's not going to... There's no secret here. <laughs> there's no secret sauce to what this good book is going to be. It's exactly what I thought it would be. Um, and it's confident in that. And, and that's okay. So I think... Um, yeah, like, like some people are going to love this, and that's great. Uh, Sabretooth is a book that works for me, like, on every level, <laughs> every possible level. I've mentioned on these live streams a bunch of times that um, uh, Victor Laval is, you know, I think a tremendous, tremendous writer, a tremendous author, and his comics work is, has been good previously. Like, like I like a lot Victor Laval's The Destroyer from Boom, which reimagines Frankenstein in a modern context from a writer of color, right? Very intentionally. Uh, it's well done. I think um, Eve, comic that came out from Laval, another uh, which focuses on on environmental change and climate disaster, uh, is another good miniseries. I think Sabretooth is on the track of being great. Uh, and it is, for me right now, the best X-Men comic. By a, I, I was going to say by a lot, but I liked Immortal X-Men a lot. Okay, and I'm, I'm pretty open for Mortal X-Men to be in the same conversation. But, like, it's one of my favorite comics of the year. Not just Marvel comics. It's one of my favorite comics of the year. It is just, it's so smart. It's exactly the kind of incisive commentary the Krakoa era needed uh, in terms of calling out the Quiet Council and how it is this unanswerable council to anyone outside of it. Calling out the fact that, as there's a quote here, you know, something to the effect of, all mutants matter, but some mutants matter more, right? And the fact that Krakoa is built that way, right? It is built to celebrate these mutants who get all the attention. There are all these other mutants that don't get talked about, that are lower down on the totem pole. Um, and then, of course, calling out just the carceral state and how, as a metaphor for Sabretooth's imprisonment and the rest of these mutants that have shown up, you know, it's not just Sabretooth who is the worst, who admits as much in this issue. Sabretooth says, I am the worst. He is right. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, and it's not just him, though. That's the thing. There are other mutants who have been thrown in this pit, and you have to look at the, the prison experience of Krakoa, the ideals that it suggests it is about, and where it is falling 
in comparison to those ideals because it is falling short of them, right? And this is no secret, as we've seen with the Quiet Council, as we've seen through Inferno, Professor X, Magneto, the whole lot of them, there's secrets and there's mistakes and there's lies and there's mistakes. Um, and, and Sabretooth is awful, yes, and that's not hidden. That's not, uh, Laval's not pretending he's not. There, there was an opportunity, I think, in the first issue to sort of like, oh, okay, we're going to engender the empathy engines here for Victor Creed. He doesn't do that. He's not, he's not going to fall for that trap. Uh, but Sabretooth is cunning enough to cut through the BS of Krakoa and call out where the problems are. Uh, and I think as metaphor for nations today, it works really, really well. Uh, so I think it's incredibly smart. I think it's also very interesting to see, you know, one of the most underrated things about Sabretooth, and this is called out in this issue, and it is true, is Sabretooth can be very smart. Sabretooth can be devious. He's not just always like a mindless brooding marauder, okay? Um, he comes up with plans, <laughs> sometimes very long-term plans. That's happening here as he sort of attempts to manipulate these five individuals who have basically fallen to him in the pit into doing his bidding to escape from not only the pit, but from Krakoa, right? And, and it was referenced here, and I'd kind of forgotten about this. When Sabretooth is thrown into the pit in House of X, he says, I'm going to end your line to Professor X, okay? He's like, I am going to end you in every, every part of your legacy. He brings that up again. He did not forget. <laughs> Sabretooth is not in the pit, just like, I just need to get out of here and get free. He's going to get out of here and get revenge, right? It's not it's not unintentional, you know, something along the lines of what we just saw from Omega Red in Lives of Wolverine, but like maybe carried out with more conviction, <laughs> you know? So I, I think uh, this is going to happen. Like these mutants are going to get out of the pit and then it's going to lead to whatever the follow-up miniseries is from Victor LeBall and company. And I can't wait to see it. I cannot wait to see it. Um, I'm very curious what that could be. And I, I, you know, it's not for nothing too, that like Laval as a writer of color here is playing with characters of color and, and just like these conversations between, you know, forget the mutant metaphor. How about we have actual black characters talking to each other with much greater frequency than you see in most of the X books. It's a live thing for Laval. He knows it. He writes it incredibly well and you get that different perspective. And that brings a different flavor and different types of conversations to comics, which is great. Right? Like, we, like I want to see fresh perspective because that leads to new story, leads to narratives that I haven't seen and read before. Again, the history of comics is a history of repetition. The things that are exciting are the things that celebrate that, but break outside and do their own thing. And Sabretooth is doing that. It is doing that incredibly well. Again, we're three issues into a five-issue miniseries. I think this is all pretty clearly leading to a prison break um, of some sort. And I, I expect it to be successful, but we'll see. Right? We'll, we'll see how that actually plays out. Uh, but, I mean, no secret. I am loving, loving Sabretooth. It is, again, until Immortal X-Men really takes off, um, it is my favorite X-Men book and, again, one of my favorite Marvel books of this year. Uh, it's an incredibly thoughtful book, and it is it is very, very welcome addition to an otherwise, you know, sometimes stagnant X-Line that needs a kick. Uh, and right now, when you look at the line, right, when you look at the line, Immortal X-Men, X-Men Red, Sabretooth, that's a great top three. That is a, not in that order. That is a great top three. Um, then you throw in New Mutants, which hasn't come out in, what, six months? When's the last time we had an issue of New Mutants? Uh, it's been ages, okay? But New Mutants was very good. I think it's going to continue to be very good with Ayala and, and Rod Race. 
Um, and then, uh, then from there, I don't know. And from there, I'm less certain. Uh, X-Men, Marauders, there's a teardrop, I think. Um, T-I-E-R. Not, not actual tears being shed. Uh, but yeah, so, I mean, Sabretooth is awesome. I love it. Uh, Destiny of X is better for it. Um, I, you know, I'm seeing here, plot twist, it won't be a mini from Brandon. Um, I hope it's a mini. Because I, it, Laval has teased this triptych, this series of three five-issue minis. I actually think that that sort of pacing and progression will be to the benefit of the storytelling. I think dragging this out for longer. Uh, and, and the other piece of this is whatever the second wave is, you know, I'm curious. You know, I pitched previously like Sabretooth and the Exiles. Like maybe they get into the multiverse and that sort of thing, which would be super fun. It doesn't feel like this book is setting that up really in any capacity, um, at least yet. But, like, I don't know that the second wave of this needs to be through the lens of Sabretooth. It's probably better if it's not. Um, that said, the work's being done to establish that. Uh, oh, seeing <laughs> seeing Rod here in the chat, the artist of New Mutants, the incredible artist of New Mutants, saying, sorry about that on the delay. No worries. <laughs> no worries. I, I don't know the exact reasons or whatever. Uh, I'm just kind of thinking out loud that it's been so long since I've read New Mutants, and I really like that book. Uh, it's it's really very good. Um, so I'm excited to see it back with the the labors of magic, because I think that's going to be a really good storyline and add something pretty great to the Destiny of X. So that will be a welcome addition uh, when issue, I think it'll be 25, comes back into uh, comes back into the, the readership, which I know right now is like with supply chain issues and just everything going on is kind of madness in terms of when things are coming out. Uh, like I thought like Knights of X was coming out like weeks from now. <laughs> and then there it was today. So, you know, I'll take them where I can get them. Um, all right, so get in your questions, get in your thoughts here on Knights of X, on um, uh, <laughs> on uh, Sabretooth. I am seeing here uh, from Cole, love the hate and fear theme of Knights of X. Yes, that's very X-Men. That's very tried and true. Also that I can call it Cox. That is also true. K-O-X is short for Cox. <laughs> or no, vice versa. Um, but that does work in the acronym scheme. So wins all around. Wins all around on that front. Uh, a lot of love here for Rod as well. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening and also for doing such incredible art on New Mutants. Love it. Um, another friend of the show, another another interview that I greatly enjoyed was the opportunity to talk to Rod. Uh, working on setting up some, some future X-Men interviews. Definitely want to do more of that here on the YouTube channel, like I said, um, be drop. I'm trying to drop basically all the interviews that I do. I'm trying to drop those on YouTube this year. Uh, basically, whenever video is recorded and available, uh, I won't just put them on the podcast. I'll put them up here as well, so people who are interested in that sort of thing can check it out. Uh, I definitely want to get Galen on. Uh, I definitely want to get. I might do like a Road to Judgment Day thing um, if we can swing it. I think uh, if I can get Victor Laval on post Sabretooth, I'm going to try for that. Um, if there are others that you want to see me talk to, definitely reach out and I will do what I can. Um, I think I, I actually have, so I've interviewed Steve Orlando, Karen Gillan, uh, Victor Laval, and Cy Spurrier previously. Uh, Cy was for X-Men stuff, but most of them were about like not X-Men stuff. So the office has changed in such a way that I've actually had the experience of uh, getting those awesome creators on for various interviews and conversations on the Comic Carol podcast. Um, so I have at least contact information impossibility of those things whereas the original dawn of x slate i have like no one and uh for whatever reason have heard back from none of them <laughs> anytime i've tried um so the the new slate is definitely more cbh friendly 
uh, <laughs> which works for me. Um, but if you have suggestions about uh, who you'd like to see me talk to and set up some live streams here on the YouTube channel, definitely let me know. And we'll see what we can do. All right. Um, <laughs> I'm saying, did you see the newest Cerebro season slate? CBS needs to announce a crazy slate of their own. Yeah, Connor, Connor has the hookups for sure. Like Connor does an incredible job on, on the Cerebro podcast. And I think I saw he's got Kieran Gillen's going to go on to talk Mr. Sinister. Al Ewing's going to be on to talk Abigail Brand. Um, oh, and I forget. I've forgotten the rest already. Uh, but yeah, like, like, like Cerebro podcast is, is so beloved and is getting some really cool conversations with some of these creators about these, these, um, these characters, you know, which is, which is cool. It's cool to see something in comics that inspires such tremendous fandom. Uh, it's, I gotta say, like, I, I'm very, what's the way to say this doesn't sound like criticism. I don't like podcasts that are more than like 30 minutes to an hour. Like it always, it always seemed preposterous to me. Um, that a podcast might be like two hours plus. Like we talked about this with My Marvelous Year. Like originally, Zach, my co-host there um, at the time was like, you know, yeah, I listen to podcasts that go like three to four hours. That always seemed like just preposterous to me. Like I've never, I've never listened to any podcast nearly that long. Um, but I, I, you know, now I see that with Cerebro and it's like these people that are binging these four hour episodes. It's incredible, incredible. Like the level of fandom that that takes to get people to do that. So, so nothing but respect there. Um, we actually had Connor on uh, early in the Cerebro sort of takeoff before he was huge, I would say, uh, but pretty much, very much doing his thing. We had him on Marvelous Year to talk Inferno, uh, which a lot of people have told us they love because uh, it's really just Connor going off on Madeline Pryor, which if you've listened to Cerebrocast, you know he tends to do. <laughs> he tends to do. Um, sorry, what do we got here? In the questions, um, have you read or going to read Zeb Wells' JRJR Amazing Spider-Man number one? I remember you sort of being hyped, uh, despite Beyond being lackluster. I haven't read it yet. Uh, I'm, I'm hyped in the sense that I'm really excited for Zeb Wells. He did such a great job on Hellions. Like, I'm very excited that he's getting the chance to do an amazing Spider-Man relaunch. And because that book is, because Hellions is so good, like, I'm optimistic it can be a good series. I gotta say, I have a lot of respect for John Romita Jr., um, as anyone with an appreciation of the medium of comics, frankly, should. Uh, we're going through the 90s right now in my Marvelous Year, and, like, JRJR shows up on X-Men stuff and he kills it. Like he does some of the best art every time. Um, so it's like this dude has such a legacy. It, it's hard to keep it going. It's hard to keep it going. And his stuff has not hit me the right way in some time. Like I even, I really like his work on um, the early 2000 Spider-Man with JMS, with, with J. Michael Straczynski. Um, I like that run a lot. I have a lot of time for that run until it hits, you know, since past. And everything just starts going, going, you know, off, off the rails. Um, but I, I don't know. That makes me nervous. That, that, that particular, I would have liked to have seen Wells paired with a fresher face, <laughs> if you will. Uh, nothing against JRJR and his legacy, but that would have done more for me. But yeah, I got to read it. I got to read it and see what's up. Um, all right, what do we got? Keep doing a show about Hickman and he may accept an invite. You know, that is, that is the stealth plan here is if I do Hickmania, long enough like is there like i guess if i just straight up started releasing videos that were me begging <laughs> jonathan hickman to come on for an interview that would be a more direct uh, you know the more groveling type approach to getting him on clearly i'm desperate for it right i'm doing an entire series this entire year called hickmania where we go through all of his creator own works 
one by one, one a month, right? We're up to, we recorded the episode for The Red Wing. That's going to come out in May. I've got an interview lining up right now for the Manhattan Projects to talk to artist Nick Patera, who just launched a really interesting uh, Zoop, basically, you know, it's a, a Kickstarter type thing um, for his own creator-owned work. So we're talking to the artist of Manhattan Projects, possibly another guest to talk through that run. That'll be coming the following month, but we're recording it in May. That's going well. Uh, it's been a fun experience reading through that stuff. But yeah, like I do, when we get to the end of the year, the plan was to talk about Three Moons, Three Worlds, which is the Hickman Substack thing with Mike Huddleston and uh, Mike Del Mundo that is ongoing and is doing some interesting stuff. And I am going to try and in the process of trying of seeing if they'll come on and talk about what's up. Uh, so we'll see. So we'll see if anything comes of that. Um, I am tentatively, uh, I'm not a particularly optimistic person. I'm a Cubs fan, but <laughs> we'll say tentatively optimistic. I'm saying need another Connor and Dave collab. Y'all are my two favorite comics creators. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah. yeah I'm glad you liked the My Marvel Share episode. Um, yeah. Hey, if, uh, if Connor needs a guest ever, um, you know, we, we have, we publish con we have, uh, contact information. We'll, we'll see what's up. Um, send Zach our love. Yeah. Zach, my co-host from my brother's year. Um, he's fine. He's doing fine. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's see. What else do we got? Could Sabretooth's unconscious be causing all the torment and grief for the mutants and basically convince them to break out? Um... I don't think I don't think Sabretooth is manipulating the the mutants who are in the pit have been imprisoned and have been wronged by Krakoa in some capacity. So I think they've got their own justified reasons for wanting to break out and wanting to strike out against Krakoa. Um, I think Sabretooth is manipulating in the sense that there's a data page here in this issue where um, let's see if I can get lucky and hit it here on the the picture stream. But there's a data page that is like it tells this story about how the CIA. And I'm assuming this is based in some history because the wall's pretty good at integrating that stuff. The CIA would have used like jazz and and cultural artifacts, basically of America, and they would ship them abroad. Um, artists like Dizzy Gillespie, I remember it being Louis Armstrong, and basically like as a a what do you call it, like a psyop essentially of like you know, hey, American culture is so cool, and kind of planting in people's heads that like pro-American sentiment because of the way they are, that basically Sabretooth is like thinking on that level in terms of manipulation. Like he sends them out to find, like every mission in Sabretooth is like gather this former Marauder teammate of, of Sabretooth and they don't do that. Everybody he's working with, they're like, yeah, whatever, we're just gonna go meet people else. That is calculated. That is manipulated by Sabretooth. He's like, I'm gonna tell them to do something for me. They're gonna say F Sabretooth and then they're gonna go do their own thing and that's actually what I want them to do. That's where you see the mastermind. That's where you see the behind the scenes stuff going on, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's super smart, but no, I don't, I don't think he's manipulating them in terms of like, I mean, I guess like they're sort of manipulated in his hellscape in that if he apparently, if he wants them to be experiencing hell and more torment and, and torture, which, which one of the characters does today, he can do that. Um, so say, make no mistake, like he's in, he's in control as a, I don't know, like he's not the warden of this prison, but it's like, you know, a prisoner broke free and then became a self-appointed warden or something. Um, so there's, there's, it's not like there's no level of. Um, uh, manipulation going on here. We got a super chat from Cole Weathers. Thanks so much for hopping in. Did you like the Claremont Davis run on Excalibur? Cox really evokes that for me, but also adore Teeny's writing. Um, I like it well enough. I don't love it. Like I, I like Claremont's X-Men way more, way more than the Excalibur run, which is, I have always kind of been baffled by because 
I love Nightcrawler. Like, Nightcrawler's my favorite character in the X-Men universe. Um, and there are moments, you know, Nightcrawler, World Order, Mars stuff, right? Like, as they travel through the alternate realities that feel like they should be some of my favorite comics. Um, I, I don't know exactly what it is, but... And there's a goofiness to Excalibur, too, that, like, I like comedy in my books, for sure. Um, I like not taking things quite as seriously, or at least I think I do, and Excalibur never just hits that for me. I respect it, and I appreciate it, but I've never fallen in love with it. Um, and I just, I know that about myself, right? I've, I've read it multiple times um, in an effort to be like, is there something I'm missing here? And I, and I think, too, you know, in the Davis run, too, it's like, there's cool ideas. There's good stuff in there. You know, there's stuff I've gone back to. Um, but, but yeah, it's never, it's just never totally clicked for me. Um, all right, what do we got? What do we got? The Destiny of X so far has been good, but not great. Uh, I think it's off to a pretty good start. I think it's off to a pretty good start. I think that's fair. Like, no, it's not. It's not in great territory yet. There's definitely things need to be proved out a little bit. I do feel like it's it's felt like a bit of a bounce back from Reign of X, which was, you know, kind of the last couple of months were kind of doldrums, you know. Um, and it's, it's off to a good but not great start. I think that's a fair way of putting it. I do think that's fair. Right. Which character could you talk about on Cerebrocast for three hours? You know, I've talked before how I'm not actually like a big, I'm not a big comic fan. <laughs> no, that's not true. Um, I'm not a big uh, character specific fan. Like I'm just not, like I don't obsess about individual characters. I don't really read comics on that level. That said, a character that I have actually pitched <laughs> to talk about in that format is Blink. Uh, because Blink allows me to talk about the character, yes, but also the Age of Apocalypse, which I'm obsessed with. I'm going to be on a podcast this week, actually. Uh, they're doing a, an X-Men month, a month of X-Men comics. We're talking Age of Apocalypse there. We just covered it on My Marvelous Year. Uh, there's no shortage of Age of Apocalypse that I am willing to talk about. And then uh, it would also permit me to talk about Exiles, written by Judd Winnick, art by Mike McCone. That was one of my favorite early 2000s series, the original Exiles, with Blink sort of leading that team, hopping through the multiverse. I love those books. Uh, and it allows for conversation around alternate realities and multiverse stuff uh, that I think is pretty interesting. And also, like, Blink, that is definitely where, in Exiles, like, that character becomes, I think, very interesting. Uh, I don't know if she stays that way. I got to finish the run, but um, you know that 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 was my pitch. That's my thought. Um, the character that like purely, if I'm just like right now, life or death, you have to talk about a character for three hours. <laughs> Who are you gonna do? Um, Apocalypse or Mister Sinister? I think would be among the top two. I've done videos probably of the greatest length on them. Of Crack and Krakoa, there's probably the most just lingering in the back of my head that I can still talk about. Those two have always captivated my imagination. I think uh, X-Men the Animated Series definitely plays a quality role in that. So that would be that would be probably my picks. Late, but here is one for the road. Thank you. Thank you for the super chat. Much appreciated. Nobody except me. What else do we got? Diet Coke. I don't know why that's in there, but if it's a reference to the Pusha song, really good. Great new album, recommended. Uh, that's on my favorite songs of 2022. So reference there for King Push. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that uh Warren in the chat here is the individual who's asks for Matthew Malloy every week. 
Um, I just can't believe there are two people doing that. <laughs> but uh, but the, definitely, I appreciate the consistent focus on bringing Matthew Malloy back. Um, I don't think X-Men want, I don't think this office wants to do a lot with uber-powerful reality-warping people beyond the Omega levels that are already in play. I just don't think they do. Um, I don't think that's a part of why the Franklin Richards stuff happens, because I think that's all dance slot all the time. Uh, but I don't know that the sex office wants to mess with that until they're, like, fully prepared to dro- to do, like, a wild reality-warping thing, you know? Um, so I, I just kind of would be surprised by that, but it would be interesting. Sabretooth was meh. Uh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you missed my you missed my talk about it. This I mean the third like here's the thing like when we read this on an issue by issue basis, yeah the third issue is is calmer and and definitely toned down. I think you know it's not the prison break yet. When we read the Solus Five, when you're binging it on Marvel Unlimited, it's going to be of a piece. It's going to be a pause. It's going to be a catch your breath. It's going to be information disseminated and ideas propagated, and it's going to work. I have no doubt about that. Um, what else do we got? Malloy Hive showing up. Appreciate it, Warren. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, yeah, we got to see Mr. M at some point. If if Mr. M doesn't show in Knights of X, that would be so weird. <laughs> it would be like honestly, honestly, if the Krakoa era ended and there was this territory called Mercator and they never addressed Mr. M, that would be a pretty good joke. <laughs> the commitment and the frustration. That, that everyone would be expressing over never getting to that. That's a decent gag. Uh, so either do it soon or never do it. Those are my picks. Um, Liquid Swords, thanks as always, Dave. Not much to say for this week. Yeah, appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah, like not a ton of big stuff going on in the Kirko era and the Destiny of X. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's going to be... I don't think there's going to be a lot of huge stuff to really unpack, probably until we get into Judgment Day territory. And they do whatever they're going to do with mutants and deviants and the Eternals that Karen Gillan's, you know, Immortal X-Men will have, have been going for a minute. We'll really see what the plan is there. Um, I just don't think there's going to be a lot of, like, big picture breakdown stuff that is super needed. I think it's going to be a lot of just characters or creators trying to have fun with particular characters and just exploring the setup. Like, that's what we're in for now, you know? Um, and Moira will be floating around in the background. Like, do we... Th- okay, here's here it is from Travis. Do you think we'll see Moira in Destiny of X or is she benched? until the next era, I do think we'll see her. I actually think now that the seal's been broken and, you know, X lives and X deaths was just full on. Here's a Moira story. I, and, you know, we saw her referenced in a data page in X-Men. I don't think she's going to be like in every comic. Um, but I think we'll see more regular Moira. I see, think we'll see her starting to connect to Orcus. I don't think there'll be any major, like actual face-to-face clashes until there's an event of sorts, you know, until there's a big happening, maybe a new era. But I think she'll be around and, and it won't be a secret anymore. Uh, or at least I, I feel like, honestly, that's how it should be at this point. Like, you, you don't don't open the bottle and then try to reseal it, right? It's not going to work. Um, all right. Go Raps, go. You know what? If they can send at seven, if the Raptors can send at seven against the 76ers, I will be excited. My Bulls... I had a weird run. Had a weird run. Uh, we looked like like king breakers for two games. Uh, we were we were competitive and beat the Bucks in Milwaukee for a game. Could have won, maybe should have won game one. And then we came back home and just we looked exactly like a dud, the dud team we'd been down the stretch of the year. Baffling, baffling show of force. I was glad we were competitive and that I had two playoff games to be stressed about. Um, 
but uh, but yeah, I guess in the meantime, I'll root for the Raptors to make a, a competitive series with the 76ers. I don't know. Who am I going to adopt post-Bulls? i got to think about that. Who am I going to adopt as the team that I ultimately want to win? I like Steph a lot, so honestly, like my the Warriors fatigue has now gone total reverse where I'm actually kind of rooting for them again. Um, beyond that, it's a tough one. It's a tough one out of the East. Can't root for the Bucks, right? Chicago v. Wisconsin. Can't do that. Um I got to think about this one. I don't know. I like Joel, so 76ers wouldn't bug me a ton, but I don't want to see Harden win. That doesn't feel right. Oh, I got to think about that one. It's a tough one. Put me on spot <laughs> without saying anything. Uh, James asks, why do you think Xavier married Mystique before it never happened? Bendis run. Uh, that's a little tricky there. Uh, why do you think Xavier married Mystique before it never happened? I don't totally know what you're asking. I got to say, I don't. Xavier and Mystique have a very complicated relationship through time. Um, I don't totally get the question. I'll be honest. Uh, were Professor X and Mystique actually married? Is that a thing? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Is that a real thing? Um, somebody here in the, the chat, tell me more about it and I'll, I'll try to address what's going on. The Bendis run is, I read probably all of it, yet I remember very little beyond, like, like once Uncanny and All New X-Men got like beyond a 10th issue, that stuff is like, like, it's in my head, but it's the very back of the attic, for sure, you know? Like, like I've had experiences doing these Crack Crow videos where I go back and I read, and I'm like, oh, yeah, Mystique took over Madripoor. That's a cool idea. I don't remember this arc at all. There's a lot of stuff like that in the Bendis run um, where I just do not remember what happened there. What else do we got? Moira going to join the Eternals in Judgment Day. I don't think they would have her. <laughs> Maybe Thanos. Moira and Thanos team up? That could be fun, actually. They're kind of on a similar wavelength right now. Honestly. Like, like here's the thing. If Moira's going to go supervillain, if she's going to go full archvillain, you know, get get some, uh, you know, League of Doom, like, like, conferences going, right? Get a little Masters of Evil behind you. You got to start making some contacts. You know, does she have Doctor Doom's number? He's interested. Talk to Thanos, King of the Eternals, right? You got some opportunities. Yeah, I'm excited for Judgment Day. I mean, honestly, I've said this before, but like, Gillen's great. Immortal X-Men's off to a good start. Eternals has been incredible. And uh, Jason Aaron's not involved right in the Avengers. Win, 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 as they say in the office. Oh, yeah, so... Um, what do you think about Moira wearing MJ to the gala this year? We're talking about Mary Jane? Who are we talking about? <laughs> Who's Moira wearing? I think she's wearing uh, SC, Sean Cassidy. If she's wearing anything. Um, to the gala. You know, there was a reference in Sabretooth today I, I wanted to bring this up. They reference uh, Bling talks about the gala approaching. And in my head, I was like, oh, did we jump forward like a lot in time? Like, are we already teasing the 2022 gala? I think actually what it's doing is this is set in the past, right? This is set in, uh, we've we've reversed in time to closer to the dawn of X. This is probably referencing the first Hellfire Gala. So for anyone who was thrown off by that line, that was my interpretation, probably, of what was happening there, which I think works better. Dave, did you see the insane comic creator lineup for Fan Expo Chicago? Do you think the majority of those creators will come back a month later for C2E2? I have not seen that yet. I need to check it out. I actually got confirmation today that our press passes have been accepted for C2E2. So Comic Book Herald will be 
at C2E2 with our press passes. Um, try to set up some cool creator stuff and, and connections there. But if you're going to be there too, you know, that's the chance to meet potentially. I got to figure out how I'm going to get out of a family vacation to get to C2E2 for the days I want to be there. Um, <laughs> but but other than that, we got our, we got our press passes, so that's exciting. This will be my fourth C2E2, I want to say, which would make it my sixth convention or something like that. Um, I got to check out Fan Expo Chicago. No, I haven't seen that. I saw, you know, Hickman and Three Moons Three World team will be at C2E2. There's some interesting potential there for this meetup thing they've got going on. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I haven't been to a con since. Let's see, my last con was February 2020, C2E2, which was right when everyone was like, hey, we should probably fist bump because this COVID thing. You know, we don't want to shake hands fully. And uh, and obviously we all know how that shook out. It's crazy that that convention happened. Uh, but in retrospect, um, but nothing bad came of it for me. I haven't really heard any horror stories either from other people. So I don't know. Maybe just got lucky dodging a bullet on that one. What else we got? Oh, we talking about the future where Mystique... No, it's Mystique and Wolverine, right? When they have Rays in the Bendis run? The um, the Battle of the Atom crossover? Isn't that Mystique and Wolverine's kid? Rays? I don't think that's Professor X. I'm seeing here from, from John, get off the more stuff and move in a new direction. Uh, you, I mean, it, they can't. <laughs> they just can't. This thing, if you do that... If you do that, you're actually just starting a new era of X-Men comics. Like, everything is so intrinsically tied to Mortal. It doesn't mean she has to be in every issue, but, like, I mean, that's what you see in Immortal X-Men, right, at the end of that issue. Like, Sinister's, it's Moira stuff. It's playing with reliving lives. You have to do that um, because that's what this era is built on. And that's where the opportunity is, frankly, still, because it was so untapped for so long. So I get the thinking there and I get that urge, but I, I don't actually think that's the best step forward for this, for this, uh, for this team. All right. I haven't read any Hulk by Cates and Ryan Otley, so I cannot respond to what do I think of that. I probably will on Marvel Unlimited at some point in the distant future, but I can't say it's high on my, my to read list. The to read list is, is tall and that is not the tallest. I haven't seen release pages from Free Comic Book Day coming up. I have not looked at that yet. I try to avoid pages and preview stuff as nonsensical as that sounds for somebody who talks about comics all the time <laughs> as a website. Uh, I don't know. It just kind of takes a lot of the fun out for me for reading things the first time. Uh, so no, I haven't looked at that. Mystique had kids with both Xavier and Wolverine in Battle of the Atom. Rays and Kid Xavier. What a busy, what a busy alternate reality <laughs> for Raven. Um, what, okay, so so she had kids. She had Charles too, with Mystique posing as Moira. This is in the Bendis run. <laughs> what? See, I told you, I don't remember anything from this run. Um, okay, I mean, honestly, this sounds like an interpretation for the, a lot of the 2000s was like Mystique and Xavier hate each other, but maybe they've also had relationships. And then obviously X-Men First Class took that and ran with it, you know? So maybe there's some attempted movie synergy there, you know? Because in the in the movies, there's definitely that thing of like, yeah, they used to date. Uh, I never 
and particularly here for that storyline, like we have Mystique has enough relationships with various X-Men characters, Destiny obviously being the most interesting one. Um, but even like Sabretooth in the 90s, the stuff with Forge, there's a lot going on there. Uh, you did not need to throw Charlie into that mix for me, at least, uh, between Gabrielle Haller, between Moira, between Lalandra, uh, probably some others I'm forgetting, between, uh, oh, Cecilia Reyes, right? Or no, no, not Cecilia. Um, oh, shoot, who's the 90s liaison that, that Big Daddy Chuck has? Oh, it's going to bug me now. She's one of the acolytes. I can't think of her name. Uh, but anyway, Charlie's got enough going on too. So no, I'm not here for that relationship. I don't need to see it again. That said, I clearly need to read this thing where Mystique poses Moira to have a kid with Professor X because that sounds all kinds of messed up. Um, Moon Knight series may end up good. Yeah, I was seeing a lot of positive buzz about episode five today. Uh, again, I talked about last week. I love the ending of episode four. Uh, I'm excited to see episode five and see what this positive buzz is about. I mean, it does, it's that thing of like, it just, anything that there's an overconfidence in, in patience, <laughs> you know, it's just like, did we need to kill three and a half hours before we, before we, you know, hit the pedal? Uh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Okay, so I'm seeing the gala news now, the reference to Moira, and I want nothing to do with that <laughs> until I've explored in further detail. I'm not even going to say what it is, because that might be spoilery for some people. What? Wow, wow. Okay, I gotta check that out. A lot of wild stuff. Comics can be crazy. Comics can be wild. I think we can all, all agree do you think we'll see Orphan Maker and Nanny in the pit before Sabretooth is over? I wish we would. I do wish we would. Uh, I think the argument that we might not would be this is set in the past and they might not have been thrown in the pit yet. So like chronologically, that actually might not check out. Would probably be the clearest argument for why we wouldn't see that. That said, they'd be, they'd be fun additions, but also at this point, like that'd be, you know, if, they, if we get to the fifth issue... And it's the moment now we've advanced chronologically to the point where they're just getting thrown in. Maybe it works in that sense. And then and then in some way they can help them get out of the pit or whatever it is. I, I'm hoping, though, I'm hopeful that Sabretooth number four is the escape issue, right? I hope that the penultimate issue is the escape issue. And then issue five is like, now what do we do? And how do we strike back and get our revenge on Krakoa? As opposed to the entire miniseries building to the escape moment. I, I, that's the structure I'm hoping for. Is the okay? I gotta ask for those of you who've read Amazing Spider-Man number one or, or have seen this tease about Moira. Is it a joke? Is it a Zeb Wells joke, or is this a real thing that seems like it's gonna be happening? Because Moira's not going to the gala. Can she show up to the Hellfire Gala? That seems crazy. I got. I gotta get answers on this. I have no no thoughts of my own. That's my question to you. Otherwise, I'm here for a few minutes for questions from everyone else uh, until, you know, for five minutes or so. Uh, adopt the Celtics. I, I can't do that. I, I absolutely cannot do that. Uh, I will not be rooting for the Celtics under any circumstances. Although I got to say, I love Jason Tatum. Tatum is incredible. Um, dominated. Dominated KD, which was 
pretty cool to see. Uh, love Tatum, but no, I will not be cheering for the Celtics. Uh, man, who else do we got in the East? I think that's it, right? Like, so we got Celts, no. But, oh, the Heat, okay. I mean, I'm still, like, kind of rooting for Jimmy Buckets, former Chicago Bull. That's the thing. When your team's not especially good and hasn't been good for a while, you just kind of, like, continue cheering for a player that used to be on your team <laughs> but is no longer. So I'm I'm pro-Jimmy Buckets. Uh, I don't love the Heat, and I don't love Miami, but it, it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. I'm, like, semi-rooting for Joel, I got to say. I think it'd be cool if he could win a championship. But again, that means Harden would win, and that's, oh, it just all backfires. I keep thinking. All right. There was a released page. I got to look at the... All right. Clearly, I need to look at this panel leak from the gala. This sounds preposterous, what is being teased here. If you're looking in the chat, great. And hey, this is an advantage of... If you're listening to this on the pod and you're like, what is he talking about? In the chat here, it has been revealed a leaked panel of who Moira wears to the Hellfire Gala in 2022. And I'm saying who, because if you've read X Deaths of Wolverine, you remember Moira wears banshee skin, like she's just going full faceless men on us. And apparently there's someone else that she might be doing this with. And it sounds completely insane. It says it's not a joke at all. Uh, so it's not that like, it's it's a real thing that might be happening. This sounds, what? That's That is kind of brain breaking. If that actually happens, if that is a thing that happens at the Hellfire Gala, that is breaking my brain. I don't know. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Congratulations to the chat today. You've broken me. Uh, <laughs> I am fractured in ways I did not anticipate. Way to bring the heat on this information. Much, much appreciated. Yeah, no Celts as a Bulls fan. Can't be doing that. Uh, all right, well, let's, let's see. I'll do one more. I'll do one more thing. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> okay, so maybe there's a line of dialogue that suggests Moira's going to wear someone. And maybe we know she might mean it literally, but maybe in the moment it's like that could be interpreted another way, I guess. Uh, if Moira walks into the 2022 Hellfire Gala wearing a prominent Marvel character's body slash skin, I will lose my mind. I am not. I, I am not rooting for that. <laughs> that does not sound like an appealing turn and and storytelling event. It was goofy and dumb as heck when it happened in Next Death of Wolverine. It was the biggest jump the shark moment for this franchise since I don't know when. Don't bring it back. Don't make this a recurring thing. What are we doing? Come on. What are we doing? All right. Final question. Yeah, this is absolutely cursed. <laughs> like, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give voice to this. I'm not gonna say what this is. I'm not putting it out into the world. Um, if it truly happens, then we can talk about it. Then I might just cancel all casual Krakos from that point forward. That might just be the end of it. <laughs> we might say it was a good ride. Listen, we'll always have House of X and Powers of Ten. That was fun. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but this this era is over. We're done. Uh, this is the end. This is the end of all of this. Uh, Oh, boy. Oh, boy. All right. Thanks for joining, everybody. I appreciate it. Uh, again, you can find all of my stuff at compacarold.com, at compacarold on social. Uh, if you like and subscribe to the channel here, you know when I'm going live. You'll know when videos are going up. And, uh, you know, I'll have this interview with Jeff Smith coming soon on the YouTube channel as well. So I am incredibly excited about that. He was uh, surprisingly candid about uh, the recent Netflix cancellation of the Bone Animated Series. 
And uh, I don't know that I'm breaking news with the conversation necessarily, but definitely some insights that I had not read anywhere else in terms of kind of how that went down and what the expectations are and just what a bummer it has been for that guy trying to get Bone animated into a movie, now into a streaming series on Netflix, just like, just absolutely like done wrong at every turn. My goodness, my goodness. The fact that Bone can't get adapted is just like one of the most absurd things in in the comics world. You know, this this perfectly ripe for adaptation series, it just boggles the mind. Boggles the mind. Also, my third favorite comic of all time, not only that, like hugely, hugely, like massive sales figures for like in kids lit. Like this book is enormous for the young readers market. It, how that doesn't get animated and, and turn into a thing, I have no idea. So thanks everybody for joining. I appreciate it. Uh, I'll be here next week talking whatever comic. We got a weird week next week. It's going to be Marauders and this giant sized Thunderbird. Um, so hopefully there'll be plenty to talk about on the Steve Orlando front. But thanks for joining everybody and we will talk. Yeah.